Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 10, Chapter 19, Historians versus Tolstoy, Round 3. Yet again, another chapter about just how wrong historians are about stuff. Although, is it Round 3? I think it's the third time Tolstoy's been on this particular rant, and not the last time. Um, it's at least three, I think, maybe more. These chapters are tougher for me to get through, says Ripster66. I like the perspective Tolstoy brings to history, but it removes me from the narratives I've become so invested in, and I find my attention wandering. Just like reading a history book sometimes, reading before bed doesn't help me focus either, I guess. I do like that these chapters anchor us in a period of history, and that his fictional characters are living through what were real events. It's such a unique way to write about history. Historical fiction, we call that. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, How is it that Tolstoy was able to get right what every historian got wrong? Was he, though? I mean, I kind of think he probably was was right in a lot of ways. He was a smart guy, knew what he was talking about. But no one really knows exactly how history went down. And there's bits of this book that are historical moments, big battles, um, you know, that have gone down in history books, but they they are sort of, to some degree, you know, lost. We don't know exactly how they went down. Tolstoy's stitched it together as best as he can, but there's all different historians having all different takes. I think it's really interesting. Uh, that's all the conversation today, only two comments, but yeah, I guess that's what you get on these chapters where it's a bit bit of a boring chapter. So let's read chapter 20 and hope it's a bit less boring. On the morning of the 25th, Pierre was leaving Mosheysk at the descent of the high steep hill down which a winding road led out of the town past the cathedral on the right where a service was being held and the bells were ringing. Pierre got out of his vehicle and proceeded on foot Behind him, a cavalry regiment was coming down the hill, preceded by its singers. Coming up towards him was a train of carts carrying men who had been wounded in their engagement the day before. The peasant drivers, shouting and lashing their horses, kept crossing from side to side. The carts, in each of which three or four wounded soldiers were lying or sitting, jolted over the stones that had been thrown on the step, steep incline to make it something like a road. The wounded bandaged with rags, with pale cheeks, compressed lips and knitted brows, held on to the sides of their carts as they were jolted against one another. Almost all of them stared with naive childlike curiosity at Pierre's white hat and green swallow tail coat. Pierre's coachman shouted angrily at the convoy of wounded to keep to one side of the road. The cavalry regiment, as it descended the hill with its singers, surrounded Pierre's carriage and blocked the road. Pierre stopped being pressed against the side of the cutting in which the road ran. The sunshine from behind the hill did not penetrate into the cutting, and there it was cold and damp, but above Pierre's head was the bright August sunshine, and the bells sounded merrily. One of the carts, with wounded, stopped, with wounded, stopped by the side of the road, close to Pierre. The driver in his best bast shoes sorry, ran panting up to it, placed a stone under one of its tireless hind wheels and began arranging the breech band on his little horse 
One of the wounded, an old soldier with a bandaged arm who was following the cart on foot, caught hold of it with his sound hand and turned to look at Pierre. I say, fellow countrymen, will they set us down here or take us on to Moscow? he asked. Pierre was so deep in thought that he did not hear the question. He was looking now at the cavalry regiment that had been that had met the convoy of wounded, now at the cart by which he was standing, in which two wounded men were sitting and one was lying. One of those sitting up in the cart had probably been wounded in the cheek. His whole head was wrapped in rags and one cheek was swollen to the size of a baby's head. His nose and mouth were twisted to one side. This soldier was looking at the cathedral and crossing himself. Another, a young lad, a fair-haired recruit as white as though there was no blood in his thin face, looked at Pierre kindly with a fixed smile. The third lay prone so that his face was not visible. The cavalry singers was passing close by. Ah, lost, quite lost, is my head so keen, living in a foreign land. They sang their soldier's dance song. As if responding to them, but with a different sort of merriment, the metallic sound of the bells reverberated high above, and the hot rays of the sun bathed the top of the opposite slope with yet another sort of merriment. But beneath the slope... By the cart, with the wounded near the panting little nag where Pierre stood, it was damp, sombre and sad. The soldier with the swollen cheek looked angrily at the cavalry singers. Ah, the coxcombs, he muttered reproachfully. It's not the soldiers only, but I've seen peasants today too. The peasants, even they have to go, said the soldier behind the cart, addressing Pierre with a sad smile. No distinctions made nowadays. They want the whole nation to fall on them. In a word, it's Moscow. They want to make an end of it. In spite of the obscurity of the soldier's words, Pierre understood what he wanted to say and nodded approval. The road was clear again. Pierre descended the hill and drove on. He kept looking to either side of the road for familiar faces, but only saw everywhere the unfamiliar faces of various military men of different branches of the service, who all looked with astonishment at his white hat and green tail coat. Having gone nearly three miles, he at last met an acquaintance and eagerly addressed him. This was one of the head army doctors. He was driving toward Pierre in a covered gig, sitting beside a young surgeon, and on recognising Pierre he told the Cossack who occupied the driver's seat to pull up. Count, your excellency, how come you to be here? asked the doctor. Well... You know, I wanted to see. Yes, yes, there will be something to see. Pierre got out and talked to the doctor, explaining his intention of taking part in a battle. The doctor advised him to apply direct to Kutuzov. Why should you be God knows where out of sight during the battle? He said, exchanging glances with his young companion. Anyhow, His Serene Highness knows you and will receive you graciously. That's what you must do. The doctor seemed tired and in a hurry. You think so? Uh, I also wanted to ask you where our position is exactly, said Pierre. The position, repeated the doctor. Well, that's not my line. Drive past Tatarinova. A lot of digging is going on there. Go up the hillock and you'll see. Can one see from there, if you would? But the doctor interrupted him and moved towards his gig. I would go with you, but on my honour, I'm up to here. And he pointed to his throat. I'm galloping to the commander of the corps. How, how do matters stand? You know, Count, there'll be a battle tomorrow. Out of an army of a hundred thousand, we must expect at least twenty thousand wounded, and we haven't stretches 
or bunks or dresses. Or doctors enough for 6,000. We have 10,000 carts, but we need other things as well. We must manage as best we can. The strange thought that the thousands of men, young and old, who had stared with merry surprise at his hat, perhaps the very men he had noticed, 20,000 were inevitably doomed to wounds and death, amazed Pierre. They may die tomorrow. Why are we... Why are they thinking of anything but death? And by some latent sequence of thought, the descent of the Mosheisk hill, the carts with the wounded, the ringing bells, the slanting rays of the sun and the songs of the cavalrymen vividly recurred to his mind. The cavalry ride to battle and meet the wounded and do not for a moment think of what awaits them, but pass by winking at the wounded. Yet from among these men twenty thousand are doomed to die, and they wonder at my hat. Strange, thought Pierre, continuing his way to Tatarinova. In front of a landowner's house, to the left of the road, stood carriages, wagons and crowds of orderlies and sentinels. The commander-in-chief was putting up there, but just when Pierre arrived, he was not in and hardly any of the staff were there. They had gone to the church service. Pierre drove on towards Gorky. When he had descended the hill, sorry, when he had ascended the hill and reached the little village, he saw for the first time peasant militiamen in their white shirts and with crosses on their caps, who, talking and laughing loudly, animated and perspiring, were at work on a huge knoll overgrown with grass to the right of the road. Some of them were digging, others were wheeling barrow loads of earth along planks, while others stood about doing nothing. Two officers were standing on the knoll, directing the men, on seeing these peasants, who were evidently still amused by the novelty of their position as soldiers, Pierre once more thought of the wounded men at Mosheisk and understood what the soldier had meant when he said, They want the whole nation to fall on them. The night, sorry, the sight of these bearded peasants at work on the battlefield, with their queer, clumsy boots and perspiring necks and their shirts opening from the left toward the middle, unfastened, exposing their sunburned collarbones, impressed Pierre more strongly with the solemnity and the importance of the moment than anything he had yet seen or heard. Alright, that's that one. Very, very cool. Um, have your say, Pierre, moving towards the battle. Thanks for listening, I'll see you tomorrow.